And indeed, again, what a delightful privilege and a delightful joy it is to be able to come together this morning in the warmth and friendly confines of a building such as this one and to lift up our collective thoughts and voices in terms of singing in these hymns of praise and adoration to God as well as to have an opportunity to open His Word and allow God to speak to us to provide us that instruction that indeed leads from the places of this present clime into the glorious abode known as heaven. The psalmist it was who said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, to quote the 119th Psalm, verse 105. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that, that you do and that you'll open it with me, to a text found in the closing chapter of the book of Joshua. Joshua 24, verse number 15, will be the focus of our study this morning. As we turn our attention to that idea, some introductory issues about priority will in fact be very much appropriate to our study. And in fact, the entire lesson today will surround the subject and try to identify more clearly the topic of priority. Some opening thoughts, in fact, would in indeed be given in the following way. May I suggest that as you and I are gathered today and at other times like this one, we have, in fact, the opportunity to find God's instruction relative to the greatest questions of the nature of human existence. There are so many things that the fallible, mortal mind of man can never fathom, can never explain, and can never prescribe, and yet God's Word provides those answers. I might suggest in Psalm 73, verses 16 and 17, the psalmist of old stated, "...there are things that I do not understand." Until I go into the sanctuary of God, then I understand. You and I should never then forsake or look apart from the duty and wonderful obligation we have of assembling like this and allow God to address answer to the greatest, most pertinent, most far-reaching and eternal questions of our existence. Priority, in fact, may well be one such aspect as that. And today, may I ask that we involve ourselves in a study of the matter of priority. I've listed some more thoughts about it. I believe it's fair to say that we each, on a rather regular basis, hear statements that have to do with priority. Some of the greatest of the quotations that you and I may have had the opportunity to hear over the years may well have had to do with priority. I've listed only two of them. Thomas Carlyle once made this statement. Our greatest business is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do what lies clearly at hand. Mr. Carlyle made a clear distinction of what may be difficult to perceive, somewhat difficult to understand the way to tread and accomplish it, as that stands opposed to what is so clear and obvious at our hand, where should one's priority lie? Also notice an anonymous quote. This one simply reads as follows. What may be done at any time will be done at no time. Both of those hint at the importance and significance that rests around the subject of priority. May we in fact go on to say that priority is simply a means that identifies a very strong determining factor for life here in the flesh. And as we shall see before our study concludes, what shall in fact be the case when we leave the place of this flesh. Our priorities are very important, very significant, 
So much so that a study, in fact, like this is needful to remind each of us of the role that priority plays in our life especially as it is to be a proper one relative to the teaching of God. And with that said, why don't we then ask, what does God say about priority? First of all, in regard to our text, let's identify and define what we mean by priority first, and then we'll make four remarks or four lessons about it that will be dutiful for you and me. If you and I were asked to define the word priority, what might be a suitable definition? What is it that we seek to discuss when we employ the word priority? Simply defined, it means this. It is the fact or condition of having pre precedence in time, in order, or in, in fact, importance. To say that differently, it refers to something given or something that merits attention before competing alternatives. We could see it relates to an ordering in various ways of something that's under discussion. I've listed one example I believe that'll be easy enough to see. Suppose one considers the typical 6.30 a.m. hour on a typical family in which the husband and wife go to work and the children are going to school. I believe we readily understand that there are certain activities appropriate and right for that hour of the day, and others, it seems, would easily rank lesser in significance or in importance. May I submit, 6.30 a.m. on such a morning in such a family as that would not be the time to rearrange the attic furniture. There are more pressing matters then. There's breakfast to be prepared. The children need to get ready for school. The husband and wife need to make readiness to go to work. Certainly those things for that moment in time would rank higher in importance than the rearrangement of the attic furniture. We're pretty accustomed to see that priorities like that are th those things that we approach on a daily basis, ranking things, ordering things in such a way that they fall in the proper perspective and in the proper order. I might suggest, though, that there are many aspects in which other priority considerations are far more important than that one. In fact, some of them will impact my destiny and eternity and yours. That's why it's so important to, at an early age, begin to put the proper things in place relative to perspective and to never deviate from them through life. That's how important priority is. To say that is perhaps to say that there are so many competing matters that demand your attention and mine on a daily basis and isn't it the case that priority will sort out those activities and keep one focused on the proper path? If one approaches and proceeds through life without a firmly set consideration of priority, one will feel pulled a hundred different ways to one. It'll be difficult to have any life of contentment a life that understands its mission and its goal, for it's always scattered and proceeding to follow everything that seems at the moment to be demanded. Priority will help to make sure that does not happen. Perhaps finally, isn't it true that without a plan, without a vision, without priority, there can ultimately then be no reality to the destiny that, will, that, will, that one wishes to be the case? Those things perhaps help us to see there are some statements that you and I make from time to time 
And maybe we hear it often in the language of others. Statements that we could fairly revisit at least at this point. Have you heard someone say, I don't have time? Maybe they're asked to engage in some activity. Maybe they're urged to participate in some event. Quite often one of the first responses might be, I don't have time. Now let's be realistic about that. Is that really the case? Is it the case that the person does not have the time? May I suggest that there's something else to be considered. When we, in fact, hear a statement like that, let us ever remember time is not something to be purchased at a store like, say, a gallon of paint. If we're painting our house and we run out of paint, we can go and purchase more. Or if we, in fact, run out of toothpaste, we can go purchase another tube. Time is not of that variety. It's not constructed that way, is it? Time, as we have noted in previous studies, is merely a means of describing an interval. It's no more and no less than that. Time is not something, then, that we can go get more of. To say that we don't have time is really a bit misleading and perhaps, in some ways, completely incorrect. What we mean to say is we understand every person has exactly in a week the same amount of time. No one here has any more than anyone else. 168 hours in a week, 10,080 minutes in a week, 604,800 seconds in a week. That's it. It doesn't matter how much you and I might wish for more, there is not going to be any. Time, you see, is not something that we can then proceed to wish or to think that there can be more or less of. It is an entity set forth by the God of heaven as a means of descriptive of intervals. What we really mean then, rather than saying I don't have time, is that I choose to prioritize things in such a way that event is not high on my priority list or as high as other things. There are other things that, in my estimation, are of higher significance and importance, and I will dedicate my time to the completion of those things. It's not that we don't have the time. We choose to invest that time in another way. That kind of idea perhaps leads us to then ask to remember how important these priorities are. That's what's going to orient and properly prioritize those events and the usage of that interval of time in our life. To look at it that way, might I suggest four lessons based on an episode in the life of Joshua. As we turn to that portion of our lesson this morning, in the closing chapter of the book of Joshua, we find a very interesting man. A man who by that point had led Israel through many interesting scenes of her history and in the interesting scenes of her existence. It was Joshua who understood the greatness of Moses. As Moses led the children of Israel, in fact, up to the very verge of the promised land, he nonetheless, due to the sin in his life, was not permitted by the God of heaven to cross that Jordan and enter into the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 34. However, God had hand-selected the successor of Moses, this man named Joshua. Joshua thus had been tutored by, instructed by, guided and led in way, in by, by way of example 
the time came that the reins of leadership were turned over from Moses to Joshua. As Joshua thus led the children of Israel across the Jordan River and into that promised land, it was a bountiful land flowing literally with milk and honey. It was a land that was so rich and fertile and rare. It was a land that had in it all the promise that God had allowed them to expect. Now, with Joshua at the helm, they conquered that land. They proceeded to divide it amongst themselves, the twelve tribes, if you will. But then, as Joshua reached the point of old age, the time when his own death was not too far in the distance, he had a final farewell speech to deliver to Israel. There were some things of utmost significance. There were some things of utmost importance he wanted them to never forget. Things they were to embed solidly in their mind and implant in the minds of their children and others whom they could influence. We shall not have the opportunity today, within the time that we have, to look at all of what he said. But verse 15 will be our only emphasis this morning. In Joshua 24, verse 15, Joshua made this statement. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which, were, which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. First lesson that I might ask us to consider this morning would be this. Joshua made reference to the Lord. Again, the opening statement, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. And then the closing statement of the same verse, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua wished the children of Israel to understand very firmly the following premise and the following basic principle. God must be priority number one. Though it may be, Israel, that you have been given a very precious and very bountiful land, and though you may invest a significant amount to farm it and to till it and to otherwise take care of it, that can't be priority number one if you are to be pleasing to God. He must be priority number one. Moses had, in fact, shared something like that with the children of Israel earlier, hadn't he? In the Ten Commandments that we have come to know so well, the first of them was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Not only was it the case that God certainly was to have none before him, he had no equal. That lesson all too unfortunately the children of Israel forgot in time to come. But the fact of the matter was, God was to sit forcefully and amazingly on the pinnacle of their life. He was to be priority number one. In fact, on two different occasions, the Lord said, I am a jealous God. Sternly implying to them, though the individuals that survive around you, these Amorites and these other Hittites and Girgashites and various other tribes there of the, of the land, though they have these various gods they have fashioned and made, don't ever forget, I am a jealous God. You are to serve no one but me. These, though others claim them to be gods, they really aren't. In fact, didn't the psalmist assert that later? That these which others claim to be God are no gods at all. Psalm 135 as well as Psalm 115. Might it be noted 
that there are a host of other passages that help us see that nothing has changed in that regard. We ought not think then that this opening lesson was reserved only for the ancient Hebrews. God must still be priority number one for, for you and for me. Did not our Savior say in Matthew 6 verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It is still a rather remarkable thought then that that adjective first does occur in the Greek text. That's not an insertion due to the translators. Jesus did say, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We see that exemplified in so many other teachings of our Savior, as well as the very livelihood of many of the saints of the New Testament. I've listed some other passages for your consideration. What about that text in Acts 10, verse 36? On that occasion when the inspired apostle Peter met with Cornelius, that confrontation or that other type of meeting, I should say, had such a great reward for it. For as we note that chapter in its closing, Cornelius and his household were baptized that day. But in verse 36, Peter inserted an interesting little phrase, He, namely Christ, is Lord of all. That then simply means if He isn't Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. If there's anything that stands above Him, then He isn't Lord. That word Lord it comes from the Greek word kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S. It means one in the prime position, one in the highest position. Jesus claimed, there of course by the words of Peter, He is Lord of all. Did not Paul later say He's King of kings and Lord of lords? 1 Timothy 6.15, Revelation 17.14, Revelation 19.16, all of them. Helping us see Jesus in fact, Lord of lords, King of kings. To contemplate matters like those, Namely, that God, His business, His work must stand in top priority. Helps us begin to position everything else in its proper place and in its proper meaning. I've listed also in that text the example of none other than Paul himself. As he wrote the Philippian epistle, arriving at chapter number 3, Paul begins that letter, that chapter of that letter, by making reference to the grand blessing that he enjoyed he stated he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was, in fact, of the circumcision. He was of that very nation of Israel. He had so many blessings to which he could lay claim and on which he could make the basis for his life. But notice what he stated in verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. What was that, Paul? What was better and perhaps more notable for popularity, circumstance, and arrogance for me, I counted loss for Christ. So much so that in the next verse he said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul, what was important to you? It wasn't the pursuit of Judaism. It wasn't fame and fortune and popularity amongst the Hebrews or the Jews. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For Paul, the pursuit of Christianity was everything. From that day on the road to Damascus forward, he turned his life over to a pursuit of Jesus Christ, his Lord. And he well himself could say that that investment on his part was well worth it because he knew there was a crown of life waiting. Doesn't that speak a great deal to his priority? As we study the book of Acts on Wednesday evenings some, some months back, we came to appreciate the brilliance of Paul. After all, he was sufficiently brilliant and able in mind with intellect to defend himself before Felix, before Festus, before Agrippa, and even Tertullus was unable to state anything that Paul could not utterly abolish in the very ears of those leaders of that empire. Paul was eloquent in speech, powerful in mind, and yet all of that meant nothing to him. He forfeited it all in pursuit of Christ. When I say forfeited, I don't mean he didn't use it. He used it to the glory of God by the nature of Jesus. The same thing ought to be said about your talents and mine. They ought to be used, certainly, but used to bring glory to the very one who gave them to us. God must be priority number one. The prioritization then of other matters will necessarily fall in place once that one is decided. But that does bring us to a secondary lesson based on the same text in Joshua. If we look back to verse number 15, we also notice that a very interesting word was used by Joshua. Let me read it again and place a bit of emphasis upon it. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day whom you will serve. Priorities are a matter of choice. And not only just arbitrary choice, but choices that are pursued with passion and with love. Let's speak about the first part of that at the outset. Priorities are things that are selections or choices upon my part and yours. No other person can force you or me to prioritize things the way that they ought to be. It has to be a choice upon my part and yours. Isn't it true that we see a whole host in the world, multiplied millions, who have different priorities than you and I do this morning? How many have chosen to go to a ball game somewhere? How many have chosen to stay at the house and watch television? How many have chosen to do any number of other things that did not have to be done? They've made a choice. Perhaps sad, perhaps tragic, perhaps eternally damning, but they've made that choice. Should we not be so thankful God has allowed us to make the choice with the instruction He's provided? Priorities, you see, ultimately are choices. When we appreciate that thought, no wonder it's so significant that we should strive to embed in our lives and those whom we can influence that from an early age, priorities need to be set and allowed not to be compromised, deviated from, if you please. That kind of idea leads me to make some other comments that, I've, that I would ask you to consider with me. Isn't it still true? that the second part of that statement, the pursuit with a degree of passion, if a person makes a, pri a priority or attempts to set one, and it is not a firm thing or is not pursued with passion, it won't be pursued very long. Other things will overwhelm it. 
other pursuits and other desires and other situations will completely, in fact, swamp it and inundate it. That's why priorities are so significant. To pursue with a degree of passion that they are not compromisable. Other things cannot set them aside because of the position they occupy in our life and in our mind. To note that maybe reminds us of an example in the New Testament that brings that idea, in fact, to a situation easy to be visualized. The scene was a very powerful one. In Luke, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 38, we remember that here was a scene when Jesus was active and busy in his public ministry as he went about the various places proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing and other things that would attract individuals to the message he had to share. On one occasion, he came to the home of a dear friend of his. It was, of course, Martha. And as he came into Martha's house, we remember that Martha had a sincere interest to meet the needs of and care for the physical sustenance of our Savior. She was busy preparing, making ready for a meal. Let's be quick to say there, of course, is nothing wrong with preparation of a meal. Some of the finest things to consider from the blessing of God are to be found in the sustenance of a wonderfully prepared meal. But we find Mary as a dramatic example. Whereas Martha was busy in preparation, Mary had chosen to sit at the feet of the Savior and to soak in the teaching that he distributed. On one occasion, thus Martha besought the Savior and said, Tell her to help me. Beseech her to provide additional assistance. I'm worked myself to a frazzle here. Jesus had something very telling to say to her and to you and me too by inspiration. Mary hath chosen the good part which shall not be taken from her. The Lord did not rebuke Mary in the slightest. In fact, he complimented her for the choice of priority that she had made. There was something at that moment more important than the preparation of that meal. Mary has chosen it. She has chosen the good part and it will not be taken from her. That helps us see that you and I too, when we make these priority decisions, should recognize it's a choice. Martha chose one thing, Mary chose a different. In our life, we too are individuals in that we each have the obligation to set these priorities. Once we set them, we should understand that I can't force you to m make yours differently, nor can you do the same for me. But let it be noted, we each will stand before God and give answer for those priorities that we chose. Though you and I won't judge each other in that respect, we should understand God through the Savior will judge us. It's still the case. Everyone, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, must receive the things done in the body, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Our priorities then, you see, are choices made by us. And might we remember, look at the choice Joshua made. He said, Choose you this day whom ye will serve, and then for his own decision and that of his family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua knew God needed to be number one, and he also knew that this priority was a decision and he was prepared to make it. What about a third lesson? Yet another one to challenge us to think more soberly about priorities. 
based on the same text. It has to do with the wording and the verb usage that Joshua employed. Notice the priorities to which Joshua referred were predetermined. It was not as though on the spur of the moment he was making decisions about priorities. They had been set and firmly implanted within the concourse of his life long before that sermon or that speech on that day was made. And may I submit that the same thing must be true for you and me. Because again, if it isn't, we will not have the proper confidence, knowledge, and wisdom on a given moment to make that kind of decision. Priorities need to be firmly set long before the time comes that decisions based on them are needed. Because if they're not, we'll not have the wherewithal to make them. There's too many competing things that can, that can cloud the mind and that can confuse and perplex. But if a predetermined priority has been set, then when the time comes to make a decision based upon that, the decision will be far easier and it'll be far more readily accomplished. That will lead to, to in fact, not only this statement but the next one. But let's focus a bit more on the idea of a predetermined priority first. I've listed some other thoughts for your consideration. I mentioned earlier about the amount of time, if you will, that's in a week. We each know how life can so often bring what appears to be a frenzied, chaotic mess in terms of the demands of life. Again, might we know, if there's no predetermined priority, the way that that time is distributed, the manner in which it's utilized, a bit of it will be taken here and there, a chunk taken here and for that purpose, and soon nothing is left for what we initially thought was the highest of priorities. That doesn't make any sense. What's of the highest priority should have its chunk taken out first. It ought to be what is predetermined and set, and then the other things ought to be able to divide up what, what is left. That helps us see a bit about if God is priority number one, what chunk must be devoted with predetermined fixity to Him? It certainly ought to be those public times that He has commanded our presence. Things like worship services and study of His Word and prayer time. The Bible studies that are put on are in fact set forward by the elders of a congregation. That ought to be determined first. Now, with that said, what time remains can then be divided amongst the other activities of life. That speaks a great deal, doesn't it? Of that 168 hours in a week, perhaps many must devote a good 40 or more to work. That still leaves 128 hours. Take out perhaps 8 hours a day for sleep, and we're still at well over 70 hours. Take out another time for eating and for traveling here and there. We are still well over 40 hours left. How do I spend that other 40 hours of my week? Do I allow 25 or 30 hours in front of a television to consume it? Do I allow 25, 30 or more hours to take it up in ways that are not productive for the kingdom of God? It does ask a good question, doesn't it? Where? Do I devote, by way of priority, the things of my life? Do I spend an inordinate amount in satisfying the flesh in entertainment? 
do I spend an inordinate amount doing other matters that I could well devote at least a part of that to the Lord and still leave some for entertainment and leave some for a pursuit of what would satisfy the flesh? It's no wonder that priorities, as we said earlier, are a determining factor in this life, isn't it? However we've set that, it will determine by and large the structure of the whole week of my life. It'll determine, for the most part, where the time of my life will be spent. Questions like that perhaps lead us also to see that in terms of Joshua, did you notice the word he used again? He said, we will serve the Lord. He didn't say we might. He didn't say we can. He didn't say we should. He said we will. And that reminds us each, doesn't it, about the powerful role, in fact, that is played in the confession prior to baptism. There are times, I suspect, that if we aren't careful, we can overlook that importance. We have no question attaching significance to belief and attaching significance to repentance. And, of course, the act of baptism, the culminating act in initial obedience, greatly significant. But we, if we aren't careful, can we not overlook confession? What role does that play? Here I would submit to you as one of the roles it plays in terms of New Testament doctrine. That confession is a verbal statement of one's priority in life. At that moment, one makes the statement, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If that statement is made in truth, and there's every reason to believe a person would so make it, that means the guiding directive for everything that follows in that person's life is based on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Everything else, in terms of all priorities, other will sit beneath that one. That, then, is a tremendous statement about the directive of one's life, isn't it? But notice also yet a fourth lesson that we might consider today in our notion of priority. It has to do with this. When priorities are set, they forestall problem decisions later on in life. Young people, note very carefully, please. When you make an early decision to devote your life to the Savior and to commit your life to His cause and to give your life over to an appreciation of all those things He considers honorable, then later on when there are peers that encourage you to do something that is not appropriate, something that would compromise that priority, it'll not be a hard decision at all to make. It may take courage to make it, but you will easily be able to say, I choose not to do that. My priorities have been set elsewhere. That kind of lifestyle is not becoming of a person who has the priority I do. I say that in regard to young people, but it's just as needful for you and I as older ones. We still will, in fact, be called upon to face a decision. And if our priority has previously been set, then it'll be an easy matter to face that decision. Again, it may take bravery, and it may take a degree of courage, but to make it will not be that difficult. It'll just be the carrying it out, because our priority has been set. Things are already determined. Our hierarchy in life is not compromisable. With God as priority number one, I've listed some things at the bottom that we must ever appreciate. Faithfulness to God, then, 
We shouldn't allow other things, be it persecution, hardships, or otherwise, to deter us from priority number one. One of the messages of the Hebrew letter is exactly that. Even though the feeble knees may hang down, Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11, nonetheless you have a God in heaven and remain faithful to Him. He is priority number one. We also understand that as individuals living in the flesh, there are priorities that fit naturally within the, in that same listing after God. There's our maid and our family. We want to care for them, provide for them, make certain that their needs are met and satisfied. There then are other things. We have obligations to our boss if we work. That priority fits on the list somewhere. It cannot supersede God. In fact, we might be reminded of a statement that Peter made on one occasion relative to that idea. He said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29 There was an occasion where Peter was being at least attempted to be forced to renounce the name of God, do things otherwise that the leaders of the land had proclaimed. Peter said, my priorities are elsewhere, I'm sorry. We cannot but speak the things that we've seen and heard. Acts 4, verses 19 and following. May you and I have a similar mentality to appreciate that with predetermined priorities, the decisions we face in life in many instances will be made far easier and will be made far more natural to, to in fact, complete. The writer of Proverbs made these statements, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. I might submit then that one of the things, of course it's related to the truth in the very existence of God. Truth ought to be a high priority on our list. Buy the truth, he said, and never, ever sell it. Don't compromise it. Don't give it up. Don't try to change it, alter it, twist it. Buy the truth and sell it not. In Proverbs 4 verse 7, he said, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all thy getting, get wisdom. Do we then pursue the true wisdom of God as He is priority one? May we, in fact, make certain to a lot in our life, in that 168 hours, the appropriate pursuit of priority number one. For it will truly be a sad and regretful day come the day of judgment if He hasn't been priority one. Just as Israel sorely found out how sad it was to stand on the receiving end of the wrath of God, so too it will be on the day of judgment when multiplied millions will stand on the receiving end of the eternal wrath of God. Today, as we draw this lesson to its conclusion and revisit just in a simple way some lessons of priority, we've used Joshua as our example. We have seen his firm intent to place God as number one, his recognition that, in fact, priorities are choices and that they must be pursued with majesty, passion, and love. We've also seen that these priorities are predetermined and that finally, upon that realization, they forestall many difficulties in making life's decisions. Today, what about your priorities and what about mine? Have they been properly set? If not, there is still opportunity to restructure the priorities and the hierarchy of life. Jesus wants to help you restructure it. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. 
if you need today to become a Christian, to in fact cast the devil out of your life and place Jesus on the throne of your heart. We could help you do that today. You've heard the word of the Lord. You need to believe Jesus to be the Son of God and to do so with all your heart. Repent of the sins in your life, for they are what nail the Son of God to Calvary's cross. Confess His glorious name as the only begotten Son of God. And finally, be immersed, baptized for the forgiveness of sins. With those sins forgiven, you can begin day by day to add the Christian graces and to elevate Jesus to priority one. If you have never become a Christian, let that take place today. If you have, but you have allowed Jesus to slip to number two or three or four or somewhere else on that list, it's time to make some changes. It's time to reposition that hierarchy and put Jesus back where he belongs as Lord of all. If we could help you do that today, we'd be honored to pray with you, to pray for you, and the Lord would be excited to reinstate you to a place of faithfulness. If we could help you do any of these things today, would you not let it be known while together we stand and while we sing?